This is Polar Voices. I'm Kelsey Gabrowski. When sea ice scientist Heyo Eichen worked in Germany, it was difficult for him to get samples to study. Then he moved to Barrow, on the northernmost tip of Alaska. Suddenly, he could set up what he calls a natural laboratory. A suite of tools and instruments on a thin sheet of ice that forms across the surface of the Arctic Ocean. You know, the ice used to form in October. You could go out in November, put out a whole bunch of instruments, take samples, and then it would just hang around until June or July. Some sea ice freezes and melts seasonally, whereas other types of sea ice build up year after year. Seasonal and multi-year ice are now at risk, as are the ecosystems dependent on ice. Sea ice in Barrow no longer forms a stable platform in November. Eichen had to adapt his laboratory to changing sea ice conditions, but he wasn't the only one affected. You know, over the past 10 years in particular, being a sea ice researcher really has, has both forced me to, but at the same time provide lots of opportunities that, that I've always been interested in, in thinking more broadly about how sea ice matters to different people, different organizations, different parts of society, as well as different animals and plants that are part of polar ecosystems. Coastal indigenous cultures in the Arctic depend on sea ice for marine mammal harvest. Subsistence hunting is both an essential source of nutrition for many rural communities and an important cultural practice. Natasha Simony is Inuit. She lives in Pond Inlet, Nunavut, where she hunts for seal and narwhal with her family. My son is three years old, but we started taking him out on the skidoo and on the sea ice when he was like four months old. She's been out on the ice often, first when she was very young with grandparents, then with the uncle who trained her, and now with her husband, who is also a hunter. I like to say that we're still quite traditional in the fact that a lot of hunting practices are still used. We may be using rifles and things, but why not? Walrus is another major subsistence resource in the Arctic. The animals migrate in a loop from Alaska to Russia. Periodically, the massive mammals drag themselves onto ice or shoreline in huge congregations known as haul-outs. The animals spook easily, causing deadly stampedes if hunters and onlookers are not careful. Edward's door is Chukchi, which is an indigenous people in Far East Russia. He is from the Chukoka coast on the northeastern tip of Russia. He is now pursuing a PhD at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He is a hunter, as was his stepfather, who came from a village close to the largest Pacific walrus haul-out in the world. Cape Serza Common. This place is famous because uh, uh, now uh, the scientists counted Pacific walrus in this place. It's about 110 thousands. This is uh, probably 90% of the Pacific walrus population. So it's now it's a very famous place. And this uh, this walrus hallout was traditional all my life. What I remember, according to the 2015 Arctic Report card. Subsistence hunters from Alaska and Russia each harvested less than 1,500 walruses. Greenland and Canadian harvests are now a few hundred animals each. Every year, like an open supermarket <laughs> to, to, to provide food for uh, long, uh, dark, and cold winters. He describes the difficulty of harvesting walrus from the haul-outs. The walrus haul-out is living, still living, 
and you need to butcher and it's, it's lots of walruses and it's anyway big and about one or two tons it's uh, it's uh, it's not it's not easy but we, we do it every every year climate change is affecting cultural practices such as subsistence hunting as the arctic warms up more and more sea ice melts Vera Metcalf is St. Lawrence Island Yupik, which are the indigenous people of St. Lawrence Island off the coast of western Alaska. She is the director of the Eskimo Walrus Commission. Uh, my brothers, um, nephews and cousins all worked hard 24 hours a day sometimes to ensure that we had food at the table. It's an environment that a lot of people don't understand. It's, it's not a uh, eight to five job. I mean, when marine mammals are available, you're out there and you're har- trying to harvest them and ensure that it's done safely. Our hunters work very hard to provide food for us, and sometimes it's risky. Uh, the weather has been changing, you know, climate change has been impacting us, but it's what we've been doing for centuries, and I sure I hope that we continue to do this. For for a long time. According to Alaska Dispatch News, in 2015, the native village of Gamble sought economic disaster relief after low walrus harvest for the third consecutive year. Subsistence harvest of walrus and other marine mammals are a large part of cultural and economic survival in many remote coastal villages. In 2017, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will choose to either list the Pacific walrus as endangered or threatened or remove the species as a candidate for protection under the Endangered Species Act. Whether walrus are ultimately protected under the umbrella of marine mammals or as endangered species, federal harvest regulations could change as sea ice diminishes. Walrus use ice flows as places to rest during their long migration. I don't think any environmental group can ignore climate change at this point in time. That's Barrett Ristroff the Pacific Policy Director of Pacific Environment. The California-based group works on community conservation issues. Ristroff herself is also interested in Native rights and is now working on a PhD through the University of Hawaii on how Alaskans are adapting to climate change. In spring 2016, Ristroff helped organize a couple walrus discussions at Arctic Science Summit Week in Fairbanks. I have to say, look, I'm a lawyer, I'm a planner, I'm totally a product of Western civilization. I would like to walk in both worlds, and I would like to bridge this gap, and I would like to be the one to say, yes, we set up a conference to talk about marine mammal adaptation, but we cannot have this conversation without talking about community adaptation. Marine mammals, subsistence hunters, and researchers all depend on the sea ice. And Ristroff says meetings like Arctic Science Summit Week open up conversations between the people who share this resource. Iken ensures that community collaborations are an important component of his research. Even his doctoral student, Dear Ulver Daman, works closely with communities in Barrow and Kotzebue. Uh, what I've been working on for the past two years is to try to narrow down properties that are essential to, to ice use and and trying to figure out how these properties might change over time as the sea ice is declining, as the thickness is, uh, is, is changing. Communities are working with scientists to trace what will happen to the sea ice year to year, rather than let research trickle down when it is too late to adapt. 
Damon says surface air temperatures are rising in the Arctic, twice as fast as the rest of the world. And that is the leading factor in sea ice loss. There's one thing that kind of shocked the, the research community is the, the recent loss in sea ice extent that was very apparent in, in 2007, where there was a dramatic decline. And one of the things that, that caused that was, was a gradual, most likely a gradual decrease of sea ice thickness that suddenly became that crossed a threshold that made it more prone to, to melt completely in the summer. Finding those thresholds, modeling sea ice, and getting that information out quickly will strengthen the international partnership between those whose livelihoods depend on understanding the ice. Natasha Simony from Pond Inlet. And I think for me it was the idea of being able to provide for my family even though I am not a man. I think that was my biggest driver is that I was able to maintain my own connection to the culture and to the tradition of hunting, but also to have such an appreciation for the environment and appreciate that to some sense this is the lifestyle that has allowed me to be where I am today. To hear more from people who live and work around sea ice, visit the Polar Voices page at thepolarhub.org. Polar Voices is produced by the UI Museum of the North in collaboration with the Arctic Institute of North America as part of the Polar Learning and Responding Climate Change Education Partnership.